You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. Hey, joining me on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Carl Denninger. I'm going to get Carl's take on the infrastructure package that recently passed the Senate. Uh, It's more than a trillion-dollar infrastructure package, and he's going to share with us some things that are in the bill that you may not yet be aware of, but you certainly should be. So that'll be in the second segment of today's program, and I'll get his take on uh, where the economy and markets are going also in the third segment of today's program. If you've not yet requested my new book that will be released this week, it's called Retirement Roadmap. It is an updated version of the revenue sourcing book that uh, was an Amazon number one bestseller last year. That will be released this week, and I would be glad to send you a complimentary copy The book will give you strategies uh, to help you reach your goals of a comfortable, stress-free retirement in the current environment. If you'd like to get a copy of the book, all you have to do is go to RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. The website, again, is RoadmapToRetirementBook.com, and I'll be glad to get you a copy out this week. Again, the website, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. Well, we are celebrating... I shouldn't use the word celebrating. I should say we are noting an important anniversary at the present time. Now, this anniversary is probably not even recognized by many people. In other words, they probably don't even know it exists. And as a consequence, it won't be widely observed. In fact, it likely won't even be mentioned. But it's the anniversary of the event, in my opinion, that led to current economic and investing conditions. August 15 of 1971, 50 years ago, is when President Richard Nixon gave a televised speech during which he announced that he would be instructing Treasury Secretary Connolly to temporarily suspend the redemptions of U.S. dollars for gold to protect the U.S. dollar from speculators. Now, I want to have you listen to just a minute or so of then-President Nixon's speech, and I'll give you some comments. The strength of a nation's currency is based on the strength of that nation's economy, and the American economy is by far the strongest in the world. Accordingly, I have directed the Secretary of the Treasury to take the action necessary to defend the dollar against the speculators. I have directed Secretary Connolly to suspend temporarily the convertibility of the dollar into gold or other reserve assets, except in amounts and conditions determined to be in the interest of monetary stability and in the best interest of the United States. Now, what is this action, which is very technical, what does it mean for you? Let me lay to rest the bugaboo of what is called devaluation. If you want to buy a foreign car or take a trip abroad, market conditions may cause your dollar to buy slightly less. But if you are among the overwhelming majority of Americans who buy American-made products in America, your dollar will be worth just as much tomorrow as it is today. The effect of this action, in other words, will be to stabilize the dollar. Well, you just heard Mr. Nixon say that 
these redemptions of U.S. dollars for gold were going to be temporarily suspended. Were they temporary? No, they ended up being permanent. And he said that it was a very technical move. It really wasn't. He was eliminating the link between the U.S. dollar and gold. See, up until August 15 of 1971, any foreign entity, any foreign investor that held U.S. dollars were entitled to exchange those dollars for gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. So starting really August 15 of 1971, the dollar became a fiat currency. Now, you also heard Mr. Nixon say during his speech that he wanted to address the bugaboo of devaluation. Namely, there were just many who were concerned that the move would negatively impact the purchasing power of the dollar. You just heard Mr. Nixon say that you might spend more if you wanted to buy a foreign car or take an overseas trip. But if you were among the overwhelming majority of Americans who didn't make these purchases, your dollar would buy just as much in the future as it did at the present time. Obviously, that was far from being true. Here we are 50 years later. The redemptions of U.S. dollars for gold have never resumed. In fact, if you want to use U.S. dollars to buy an ounce of gold today, you're going to pay more than $1,700 an ounce instead of $35 an ounce. That alone is illustrative of the fact that the dollar has lost 98% of its purchasing power in the last 50 years. The important point is this. It was that point in time, August 15 of 1971, that the U.S. dollar began to be loaned into existence. At that point in time, currency became debt. See, up until that point, if you had paper U.S. dollars with some limitation, they were directly exchangeable for gold. The currency was backed by something with intrinsic and tangible value. But starting in 1971, that was no longer the case. Currency became debt and money Currency was loaned into existence. From 1971 up until the financial crisis, whenever the Federal Reserve wanted to create more currency, they would simply reduce interest rates to encourage borrowing because currency was loaned into existence. It was no longer an asset. Now, there have been a number of economists historically that have commented on this phenomenon The Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises talked about this in a lot of detail, and interestingly, he's now being quoted a lot again, given that we're seeing inflation. This is what Mr. von Mises said, quote, There is no means of avoiding the financial collapse of a boom brought on by credit expansion. The alternative is only whether the crisis should come sooner because of voluntary abandonment of further credit expansion or later as a final and total catastrophe of the currency system involved. Let's break that down. He said, 
you're not going to avoid the final collapse of a boom brought on by credit expansion. Well, keep in mind, because currency is loaned into existence, because currency is debt, when you expand credit, it just means that there is more, more, more money available to borrow. Von Mises said you're not going to avoid the boom. The only question is how the crisis will arrive. Is it going to arrive because the policymakers in charge of currency creation voluntarily stop? Von Mises said, will they voluntarily abandon this credit expansion? When they do, you'll see the final collapse emerge. Or will the crisis come later because the currency system fails? So basically, Von Mises says that the currency creation ceases and the crash happens or the currency is destroyed and the crash occurs. Here's the point. Neither of these outcomes is desirable, and both eventualities are painful to endure. We are truly living in unprecedented times, and we are seeing headlines every day, more headlines every day emerge, and it, and it provides us evidence that we are getting closer to this point. On the 9th of August, there was an article published that talked about the fact that Tyson Foods CEO Donnie King said on a conference call that higher costs are hitting the firm faster than the company can lift prices, and prices were set to rise on September 5 anyway. Everything from fuel to labor to raw materials like corn and soybeans to shipping to other inputs for livestock farming has exponentially risen over the past year, according to Mr. King. In fact, when you take a look at the mentions of inflation on earnings calls, these are calls that corporations do to update investors on earnings, mentions of inflation are up by 20% year over year. So we're getting closer to this outcome that Mr. Von Mises warned us about, and we're getting closer to the end of the cycle that began about 50 years ago to the day when the link between the dollar and gold was eliminated. If you've not yet educated yourself, I'd like to encourage you to get a copy of my new book that's being released this week. It's titled Retirement Roadmap, and you can get a copy of the book by going to Retirement or excuse me, by going to RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. RoadmapToRetirementBook.com is the website. If you let us know where to mail a copy of the book, we'll be very glad to do that. The book talks about a strategy and multiple strategies, actually, that you can use in the current environment to potentially help you reach your dreams of a comfortable, stress-free retirement. So again, the book is available by visiting RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. We'll get a copy out to you this week. The book, again, is available at RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest today, Mr. Carl Denninger. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I'm chatting once again today with returning guest, popular guest, Mr. Carl Denninger. Carl is a prolific commentator, and you can read his work at market-ticker.org. The website, again, is market-ticker.org. And, uh, Carl, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. 
Carl, there is, we were chatting a bit before we started uh, recording, um, there is an infrastructure plan that is now being discussed, uh, proposed, uh, even voted on in the Senate, I believe. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the current status of that infrastructure program. Well, it's a monster grab bag bill that has, uh, as is usually the case in Washington, a lot less to do with whatever it is that they claim they're doing and a whole lot to do with whatever grab bag uh, goodies, uh, you know, a particular political party wants, in this case, the Democrats, of course. Um, <laughs> there's there's several things that are rather amusing. Um, one of them is, is well, and these, these are all kind of two are tied together. One is, is, and that's the fact that there is a mileage tax proposal that is being put into the bill as a pilot study. Okay, in other words, a, a way to figure out how to track how far you drive and tax you based upon the number of miles you drive. Okay. Now, one of the reasons that everybody is getting all interested in this and, and one of the reasons that it's in this bill is because what's also in the bill is an attempt to essentially force the end of internal combustion engines. All right, so they want gas-powered cars and trucks off the road, basically. Well, if you do that, how do you pay for the roads? Because the way we pay for them now is gas tax. Right. So is that addressed so, in the bill, Carl? I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd read about the uh, the mileage uh, tax uh, pilot program, but uh, uh, let's talk. Let's back up here a minute too, just for our listeners' benefit. Um, is this thing going to become law? I mean, at this point, uh, my understanding is it's it's passed the Senate and it's not passed the House. Is that is that a correct understanding? Yeah, but only because the House is out of session. They're on recess. Um, it, it is absolutely going to become law when they come back. So talk about uh, this mileage tax proposal. Uh, how much do you know about it? How would it work? Uh, and uh, is this really to replace the gas tax? Is that the idea? Well, that's the theory, because there won't be, if, if, you know, if all your cars are uh, are electric, then obviously they don't pay any gas tax, right? So is there a time frame uh, that all cars will be electric, that they want to just get gas-powered cars off the road? Well, um, what Biden has said is he wants, he wants car makers to stop making internal combustion vehicles by like 2035 or something like that, 2030 or 2035, which is... I mean, that's 10 years. Um, now, of course, the ones that are still out there are, you know, who knows what they're going to do with that. But that's not really that far down the road. Right. Think about it. And and as I've pointed out, and I've written several articles on this, there are some very serious problems that come from this. And I, I raised a, a very large stink with the local county commission here about it because in an electric vehicle world, where that's all there is, you're going to have a very serious problem with anywhere that is a drive-to destination, and, and where I live is. Okay, how do you do that with something that uh, you know? Okay, well, this car has a, a 300-mile range, uh, you know, on a battery pack, but then it has to be plugged in for six to eight hours to charge. Well, um, so basically, take you know, take your city or your town or whatever. 
draw a circle, <laughs> okay? And that's the range of the people who can who can potentially be tourists and visitors in your region. That's it. I, I the, the the craziness and the and the the just upending of the the entire economy of huge parts of this country is is not even being contemplated in terms of the damage that this is going to do. Right? I mean, we, you know, I I drive around here and I, you know, there's plates from almost every state in the union that I see. Ninety uh, percent of them are not going to be able to get here. It's not possible. Well, and, and Carl, when I, I go back and I, I found a piece, uh, this is, and it's a 2,700-page bill, and, you know, you have to wonder if any senator that voted on this either way actually had a chance to read it. Um, but from the bill, it says that uh, one of the objectives, or excuse me, the uh, objectives of the pilot program are, A, to test the design acceptance, implementation, and financial sustainability of a national motor vehicle per mile user fee. So right. th this smacks of another federal bureaucracy, um, and um, it, it 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 just smacks of really more tax. Well, and then the and and the obvious question becomes, how do you do this? I I would assume that there, I mean, there's there's the not very intrusive way to do it, and there's the ridiculously intrusive way. The not very intrusive way is that when you go to get your tags renewed, they uh, you know they they record your odometer. Right, and you get a bill. All right, so you know you pay you pay once a year or whatever have you. The really intrusive way is to use all the connected car stuff to get the data in real time, and that's bad news because that not that that potentially doesn't just include how far you're going; it's where you're going. Well, and I had read some commentators that that that, that uh, my understanding was anyway that that's what was potentially being considered. So. That that yeah. seems to be uh, you know violation of, of of privacy certainly an infringement on rights which we've seen no shortage of. Oh yeah, and that's and and that's exactly where I think they would like to go with this. I don't know that that's where they will go, but it's it's yeah exactly. So here's another interesting thing that's in there, that I, and I doubt anybody, well not anybody. I I found it. There's probably a few other people I have too. Uh, within the next three years, I believe. All new vehicles must have a drunk driving interlock that's passive and built into the car. So, so if you've had a couple you too a, many, you can't start the car. You can't start the car when you when you get it and you don't have to blow in a thing or whatever. It's it's it, it, suppose I, I didn't know that this technology existed, but apparently it does. Um, and it's there's there is a mandate in this uh, in this bill to develop, implement, and have this out there in all new vehicles. Interesting. So that seems to be that take somebody that uh, you know doesn't drink. Uh, that seems to me they're going to be paying for technology that they would never have any reason to use. Well, they and they would and, never and keep them is, safe. I mean, well, that's right. I mean, you know, drunk driving is no joke. It's, you know, it's a serious problem, but let's not kid ourselves. You're, you're talking about an awful lot of, there's an awful lot of people out there that never consume any alcohol and, you know, to force, to force them to buy a device that has absolutely zero applicability to their life is crazy. 
I mean, this is way beyond stuff like, you know, airbag mandates and stuff like that. Because, I mean, you know, there were a lot of people complained about that, too, and, and with cause. Because, okay, airbags save lives. They help, you know, prevent crashes from turning into fatalities and things like this. And that's all fine and well, except they're expensive. And and they add weight to the vehicle. They So as a result, your mileage goes down a little bit. I mean, there's, you know, there's there's cost involved. Well, here's another one. This is all cost. Okay, and for somebody who doesn't consume alcohol at all, it can't possibly provide any benefit to either them or anybody else. So, Carl, getting back to this infrastructure bill, um, is there anything in it related to infrastructure? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's there's money in there for roads and bridges and uh, and and broadband, which you know is is okay. I mean, you know, this is. I mean, it 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 is what it the, the it is what the name is, okay. But like all bills over the last twenty or thirty years, and it, it's just gotten it's it's gotten so much worse since Obamacare. I mean, the PPACA was bad enough, but the, it, what happens is all these lobbyists and and these various pressure groups have you know have their three paragraphs that they want, right? And they find something that they can stick it into and it gets stuck into that particular, whatever that particular piece of legislation is. And, and this infrastructure bill, how, how the, the, the ignition interlock thing has been something that MAD has wanted, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. They've wanted that for decades. Now, how they managed to figure out a way to get uh, some, you know, somebody in the negotiating team to stick this in there, I have no idea, but they did. And I'm willing to bet that not one senator in in 50 knows it's there. Well, my understanding is this was uh, actually uh, brought out and uh, voted upon in a time frame that would have made it impossible for someone to read all 2,702 pages. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was when, when Obamacare um, started, when that, when that was being debated and voted on, the bill text was released. I actually stayed up all night and read the whole thing. Now, <laughs> I'm a little crazy, but I did that because I wanted to know what was in the bill. Um, <laughs> this would have been, in, given the time frames involved, this would have been physically impossible. Even a speed reader could not get through it. No, it's I and, and I I read very, very fast. I, I'm very good at it. But no, not a snowball's chance in Hades that I would be able to have told you i mean i couldn't have looked at it given the time and 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 told you what was actually in it i I might have gotten a third of the way through it or something like that about it well my guest today is mr carl denninger he is uh a prolific commentator you can read his blog at market-ticker.org uh, the website, again, is market-ticker.org. And I'll continue my conversation with Carl when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio. I'm chatting today with Mr. Carl Denninger, who is a returning guest. Uh, Carl's work can be read at market-ticker.org. Uh, the website, again, is market-ticker.org. And, uh, Carl, in the last segment, we were talking about the uh, infrastructure package and to pick up there where we left off and then maybe to uh, expand on that a bit, um, what is the total cost of this package and over what time frame? Uh, you know, I, I've seen um, I've seen different estimates, but the, the latest one, I think, was $1.7 trillion. 
And, and of course, uh, you know, the way they put these together is it's, you know, it's a 10 year deal. Right. So, but, but then again, I'm not sure that that's, that's actually completely true because I just, uh, you know, just this morning, supposedly this is, uh, you know, now they're saying a trillion dollars. So I, I, I don't know. Um, and this is, and this is part of the problem is, is that was, was there stuff stripped out with amendments and stuff like that? I, I, I don't know. So Carl, regardless of, you know, over how many years and what the actual, you know, total cost might end up being, uh, the, the reality is that we're sneaking up on $30 trillion of debt nationally. That doesn't count the, uh, unfunded liabilities of Social Security, Medicare, and other programs. Uh, Professor Lawrence Kotlikoff, who's been a past guest here on the program, would estimate that the fiscal gap now is, you know, approaching $200 trillion. I mean, that, those numbers are never going to be funded. Um, so does all this get funded by more currency creation and, and credit expansion like we've been seeing? Well, I think that's what they're going to try to do. But, you know, it's it's as we have always seen and as Friedman was was known to say inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon and at some point i mean if, if anyone who thinks there's no inflation well you haven't been to the store <laughs> yeah for sure okay so um i don't think anybody today can deny that there is a serious inflationary problem that we have in the United States today. And we also need to be a little concerned about something else that's going on too, which is that there is there is a tremendous issue arising today with regards to supply dislocations and labor shortages. And the, the fact that we have a tight labor market like this is, is especially nasty because one of the things that people have often said is, well, you know, cost push inflation doesn't really come into play. It doesn't really get bad because, you know, it doesn't get to wages, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, how's that looking now? Okay. When you've got when you've got a huge percentage of the businesses out there with help wanted signs up and nobody's coming in to take them, uh what's what's that going to do so when you start driving the the wage base higher then you know at the same time you drive prices higher right because what's the biggest element that goes into just about any business it's it's human resource so when when you when you look at labor shortages i mean uh you, you, you look at the, the 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 job openings that are out there and you look at the number of people that are not in the labor force um to what extent do you attribute these generous federal uh unemployment benefits to this this predicament well i a great deal and and one of the problems is is that humans are very much like pavlov's dogs we we don't ever like to talk about that because we're supposed to be better than animals and, 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 and yeah okay pull the other one folks. Um, the problem that we have now is that over the last year and a half we've trained people that you can be paid to do nothing. You don't have to pay your rent. You can't be evicted. Uh, you know Biden just extended that illegally, by the way, knowing full well that it was illegal because the Supreme Court had thrown it out. Did it anyway. 
Um, and, and so I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't stick on every person within the country, obviously, but those kinds of lessons do stick for some percentage of the people in the country. So uh, what percentage do you have to, uh, you know, do you have to impact before you start producing really serious dislocations throughout the economy in the United States? And I, and I think that's what you're seeing right now. I think that's where the problem is. And the, and the stress level is going up dramatically within businesses and within the, the, the employee base. You have mandates and, you know, to do this and do that, some of it related to COVID, some of it not. Um, and, and yet at the same time, you have an awful lot of people that are, are thinking, well, you know, gee, why do I want to work harder or work smarter, work at all for that matter? Um, because the federal government has been turning around and just handing out money. Carol, I read a, a, a statistic that, that floored me that, uh, uh, revolving, uh, revolving credit, credit card debt, um, jumped the most last month. Uh, than I think any point in 30 years, as I recall, it was a it was a big jump, and it just seemed to me that that was indicative of the fact that you know it's been a while since there's a stimulus check. So uh, you know that that pattern that 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 trajectory obviously can't continue for too many months. So do you see another stimulus package coming down the pike, or do you think that uh, you know that 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 the eviction moratorium uh, you know w- will expire? That that that's got to happen here because as you said, the Supreme Court has said that. You can't do it. And then we've got these generous uh, federal unemployment benefits set to expire uh, in September, which we're just a few weeks away from that. And the student loan moratorium expires the first part of October. So do all these things get extended? Do we have another stimulus package? I mean, just we're on a we're on a course here that obviously is not sustainable. Yeah, I don't know whether, you know, whether they'll try to continue to extend and pretend and keep going with this. I mean, I, I I, frankly, I find this ludicrous. This uh, there there was a an argument back in March and April of 2020 for a short term bridge when when essentially the entire country locked down, which was stupid. We should have never done it, but having done it, okay, um, you know, over the space of 30 days or 60 days, give, give everybody you know throw some money out there. But we we did that. We handed out these stimulus checks, right? I mean, that was, you know, we did that. We, <laughs> and then everything just keeps kept getting rolled forward and rolled forward and rolled forward. And I, I just, I, I look at this and I say, you know, there, there is a point at which if you train a dog that, you know, every time that you ring the bell, there's going to be food. Well, <laughs> what happens when you ring the bell and there's no food? He, he might bite you. <laughs> Well, and it, it seems like we're, we're, we're on that path. So if all of a sudden these uh, federal unemployment benefits go away, um, if you've got an eviction notice and now you've got to start making student loan payments, that's a lot of stress on a lot of Americans. So how do they act? Well, I don't know. And I, but I don't think it's going to be anything good. I mean, it's, you know, how long how long does it take to disabuse people of the idea that this kind of thing is something that they, you know, consider to be normal? Look at the look at the squad, you know, oh, UBI, we got to give everybody free money, you know, universal basic income, give everybody free money all the time, every month. Um, who's going to go to work if you do that? 
Yeah, and it's it's really. I mean, when you look at what's going on in the economy, uh, by by some measures, you know, our our economy is certainly in inflation-adjusted dollars. Our economy is contracting, and certainly that's a, a big contributing for factor, rather. Well, yeah, and and that's you know you're seeing you're seeing really weird stock out type stuff too. Uh, there's all kinds of bizarre things that are just not available. Okay, I mean, I, I, I as a personal example, um, there's two adjusters that go on my lawnmower. They I have two Chinese bearings in them. Every couple of years, they fail and they lock up, and so I have to buy another one. Okay, no big deal. I'm not I'm not junking the perfectly good lawnmower for twenty five dollars worth of parts. Okay, um, so normally I just I go order these things, and in a few days they show up. No big deal, right? Well, um, I attempted to buy these things um, a month and a half ago, and they still don't know when they're going to come in. And I, I read a piece, too, this past week that when you start looking at uh, shipping costs, like a 40-foot shipping box, uh, you know, three weeks ago, I think to ship it from China was like uh, ten grand, and now it's like twenty-two grand. So, um you know, that that's all related to what we're just talking about. And it seems to be getting worse. Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, and, and shipping costs, I mean, that uh, I have some friends of mine that, that are involved in, uh, in moving, you know, in, in transport and on an ocean going basis and things like this. And they're saying that the, that the cost of, of a, a standard container, um, <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> I, I mean, just to get it from one place to another now is like is is just insane. And so, you know, although it, another interesting thing is that uh, you know the lumber the lumber situation that was going bananas in the north direction is starting to relax. Well, and that was uh, you know when you look at lumber, that that price move was parabolic. So, you know, having it pull back some certainly was. Uh, you know, expected, it's still significantly higher than it was. But I want to, in the time we have left, Kyle, get your take. I mean, are we headed, as uh, Ludwig von Mises, the Austrian economist, said, are we headed for a crack-up boom? I mean, are we going to see hyperinflation and then a collapse? I don't know. I hope not. Um, but, I mean, it's a possibility out there, yeah. And, and if people don't pull back from this, I mean, you, you would you would hope that even if our so-called fearless leader, you know, Biden um, doesn't recognize the, you know, the danger that he's in, that there'll be some saner heads that will prevail. But I, I don't know that we can actually count on that happening. Well, my guest today has been Mr. Carl Denninger. His website is market-ticker.org. I'd encourage you to check it out. He is a prolific commentator and uh, enjoy reading his his work. And, and Carl, always a pleasure to chat with you. Um, you're uh, one of the easiest guys I interview, so love to have you back down the road. Thanks for joining us today. Anytime. Thank you. We'll return after these words. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to RLA Radio. Thanks for tuning in today, and thanks also to my special guest, Mr. Carl Denninger, for joining us on today's program. If you've been with me for the entire hour, you know that in the first segment, I played an audio, an audio clip of President Richard Nixon's speech given on August 15, 1971, about 50 years ago. During this speech, Mr. Nixon announced that he was going to be 
temporarily suspending the redemptions of U.S. dollars for gold. He talked about in this speech that if you were to travel overseas or buy a foreign car, your dollar might not buy quite as much, but if you were among the overwhelming majority of Americans who didn't make those purchases, your dollar would buy just as much in the future as it did presently. Well, we all know now that that has turned out not to be true. In fact, this past week, uh, Mr. Egon von Greyerts, who is uh, the founder of Matterhorn Capital uh, and who puts out some terrific articles, noted in a price chart that he published that when you price different different uh, or price gold rather in different currencies you see that the US dollar for example has lost 98% of its purchasing power since Mr Nixon made that change the british pound 99% uh the german mark now the euro uh or partially the euro 96% of its purchasing power and canada 99% of its purchasing power so when you look at the loss in purchasing power of all these now fiat currencies, you'd have to say that we're really not on a slippery slope anymore. We have really descended the proverbial slippery slope, and we're now just awaiting the outcome that Ludwig von Mises forecast that I talked about in the first segment. Mr. Von Mises said there is no means of avoiding the final collapse of a boom brought on by credit expansion. Well, since 1971, as I noted in the first segment, money has been loaned into existence. So as credit expands, more money is created. Mr. Von Mises knew through his research, since currency failures happen with amazing frequency, throughout history, that this ultimately ends up with a collapse. He said the alternative is only whether the crisis comes sooner because the policymakers creating the currency decides to stop, or does it come later as a final and total catastrophe of the currency system involved? Well, when you take a look at the expansion of the money supply, And Mr. Von Greyerts published this chart also in a recent article. When you look at the M1 money supply, which is just readily available cash, and you look at the growth of that from 1971 to 2011, we saw the money supply grow by about 6% per year. Now, if you take a look at what the real inflation rate was over that period of time, even though the official official inflation rate that was reported was lower, that's a pretty manageable number. From 2011 to 2019, however, the money supply expanded by 24% annually. Now, it's no surprise that in 2009, After the financial crisis, when the Federal Reserve dropped interest rates to zero and no one borrowed, that at that point, we would have gone through a deflationary collapse, or the final collapse, as Mr. Von Mises described it. However, at that point in 2011, the Fed began a temporary program, there's that word again, of quantitative easing, which was essentially currency creation. 
From that point to 2019, the M1 money supply expanded by 24% per year. However, from August of 2019 to August of 2021, over the last two years, the M1 money supply has gone up by 126% per year. That's an eye-popping number. That's a shocking number. Now let's go back and translate that into what the inflation rate might be, what you might experience as far as price inflation. At 6% increase each year in the money supply, you're essentially seeing the purchasing power of the dollar decline by 6%. So that would mean over a 12-year time frame, the purchasing power of the currency would drop by 50%. When measuring the price of gold in U.S. dollars, that tracks pretty closely. Now, when the money supply starting in 2011 going to 2019 expanded by 24% per year, that would translate to prices, in theory, doubling every three years. Now, we know that didn't happen because there is a time lag between currency creation and inflation actually kicking in. And now we're just beginning to see that because at a 126% increase in the money supply annually, prices would double every seven months. We're now seeing in parts of the economy evidence of that as well. Now, we certainly haven't seen price inflation to that point, but it is emerging. However, there has been inflation in asset prices, and I've talked about that on past RLA radio programs. Now, Mr. Von Greyertz, Mr. Von Mises are essentially discussing the same phenomenon that Thomas Jefferson described when he warned of inflation followed by deflation if the American people ever allow private bankers to control the issue of their currency. And as I mentioned, historically speaking, this cycle has repeated itself with amazing frequency. Fiat currencies throughout history have a 100% failure rate. Now, I remain in the camp that says we will continue to see inflation as long as currency creation continues. I have interviewed a number of bright experts on this program who have a different opinion. I like to present all opinions to my listeners. However, those who believe the U.S. dollar will be a safe haven moving ahead come to that conclusion, assuming that there's no confidence lost in the U.S. dollar. That's where we would differ. We may see the confidence continue for a period of time. I believe we will. However, confidence will have to disappear unless, as von Mises said, there is a voluntary abandonment of currency creation. It doesn't seem that the current crop of politicians and policymakers will pursue this admittedly ugly but yet more desirable outcome. At the present time, they seem to be just opting to kick the can down the road as long as possible, postponing the inevitable financial collapse that Mr. Von Mises talked about at some point down the road. Quickly, if you've not yet requested your copy of my book, Retirement Roadmap, that will give you some strategies for you to consider in the current environment, I'd encourage you to go to the website, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com, and request your copy. The website, again, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. 
RoadmapToRetirementBook.com, and I'll be glad to get you a copy in the mail this week. That's all the time I have for this week. I'll be back again next week. Talk to you then.